The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Time now for TV and streaming with Joe Shane, Jennifer Gallen. And Jennifer, I'm going to start with you because Netflix apparently is looking for Irish participants for a Squid Game reality series. Yeah, just when you think... Hang on a second. Hold on a second. Squid Game was this South Korean TV show about a reality series in which the contestants die. So now Netflix are going to make a real-life version of that, presumably in which the contestants don't die. So what's the point of that? You would hope. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, they have Charlie Brooker on their staff on Netflix, and I I am wondering, is he looking at this thinking the same thing I am? It's the most dystopian thing I've ever heard, because it's a really bleak idea. Like, Squid Game is this allegory about the disturbing nature of hustle culture and the grimness of late-stage capitalism, and, you know, with normal people, they're completely desperate for a chance to change their circumstances and win this life-changing money and will do anything to do it and that's how they end up getting caught in this you know game show where you're as you said killed off if you lose so I mean it feels like that metaphor is completely lost on Netflix and they're just sucking that story out of it and just using it as this broad game show which is like this they're having this global search for contestants um, and I just think you know you'd hope that none of the contestants would be killed off but maybe Netflix might corral all of their laid off staff that they just had and make them fight for their job we don't know but it's, apparently it's going to have 456 real players that are going to enter the game and they're going to have the chance to win about 4.5 million dollars and I just think it, it sounds like a fancy version of the Crystal Maze to me and I really don't think they should have bothered associating it with Squid Game itself because I think that just sounds really nasty and it, it actually is a really strange tie-in and it makes the actual series feel a bit toothless now because that's that metaphor has been erased and I'm sure the program makers of Squid Game are annoyed that they're taking the actual meaning away from the series itself. They mightn't be, Joe, if they're getting a cut of the proceeds. Uh. Yeah, well, you know, we could be reading this all wrong because there have been reports that the guy who created Squid Game, Huang Dong Hyuk, has had lots of problems coming up with a series too and has got a kind of a mad writer's block. Now, Netflix are up the walls about this because this is their most popular, the first series is the most popular show of all time. 1.65 billion view hours in 20, the first 28 days. So maybe Wangs have to come up with a very clever way of, I don't have to script it, I'll just get people to volunteer for this, we'll turn on the cameras and we can just shoot the second series because... You know, presumably without killing anyone. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Well, the, we, we have to take Netflix words for that. You know, it is kind of ridiculous. And it, it is, you know, the, the satire becomes the reality that becomes the satire that becomes, you know, the, the commentary that it then becomes, you know, made kind of... Uh, pointless by this, by, by a reality TV. And it's re, it's TV will eat itself. You I know? think it's interesting what you're saying there about the programme creator not being able to actually come up with ideas for a second season because it was maybe supposed to be a standalone and that just shows the Netflix yeah. business model where they didn't realise it was going to be such a success. He said that the amount that he got paid versus how many people watch the actual series is just, there's a huge gap there and that, you know, he, he didn't feel very supported by Netflix and it's just funny that they're trying to wring every little bit out of this show now because of that. Okay, let's move on. Joe, I can vaguely remember a time when RT 
briefly in a number of years showed the 12th of July celebrations from the north as a sort of a degree of inclusivity and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And now the BBC isn't even going to bother showing it in Northern Ireland this year, but GB News has stepped in to save the day with Arlene Foster as lead commentator. Tell us about this. Yeah, well, you know, the fact that the BBC have, I don't know, they're... They're saying they want to spend the money on more, uh, more community-based, more inclusive, more kind of wide-ranging kind of uh, you know events and initiatives in the north, and it kind of makes sense because. Yeah, it's it's the twelfth, and it always was jarring. You know, I remember watching you come across it occasionally, and you kind of go, "This is just strange." And the BBC treating it as if it was a, kind of a St. Patrick's Day parade. Now, no matter what your politics are, it's it's hardly a cross community celebration. It's hardly in- inclusive. It's none of those things, and you know, you can't argue that is any of those things. But so the BBC has stepped out, and GB News have stepped in to guarantee literally tens of viewers are going to see the twelfth <laughs> live on a. Uh, on TV this year, uh, you've got they're going to they're not going to the BBC do, do, was a huge event for the BBC for years, and they have live coverage and people out in the field from parades all over uh, Northern Ireland. This time around, GB News are going to focus in on um, Armagh, where one of the biggest parades takes place. Uh, DUP former DUP leader Arlene Foster, who of course is now a GB News com, uh, you know personality, so to speak. Uh, is going to be the kind of anchoring it. And she says it's a, it's a way to kind of bring real uh, British, uh, Northern Ireland British culture to the rest of the UK and show. And she's, she's talking about, she's, ce- she's celebrating it. Be as, careful what you wish for because yeah. they might cop on in the Britain <laughs> yes. as to what yes. the 12th is like in the North. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, there you go. I mean, it's, it, again, having lived in the UK, and I've said this to you before, they have such a weird view of Northern Ireland as if it's almost Narnia and they don't really understand what the whole thing is about. Yeah, GB, GB News uh, fans watching this is going to be unusual. I'd like to do a goggle box kind of thing on this and point the camera around at the kind of the, the, the audience in Bristol or the audience in you know Epping Forest or wherever because it might seem a bit strange to them. But Jennifer, isn't there an argument that the BBC in Northern Ireland should be covering this, that that's part of its public service remit, even if many of us would see the Orange Order as being a sectarian organisation that doesn't deserve to be promoted, but that it still has a popular support and it's a culture that should be shown. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be kind of used as a stick to beat the BBC with, I think, again, because as you said, it should be, well, ostensibly part of their remit under the guise of fairness and balance as well. And I'm, that was a point that Arlene Foster was making, that she was saying that, you know, it's isolating those viewers uh, in the north of Ireland that the BBC aren't choosing to show it uh, anymore. And and that it is part of their life and, you know, celebrates their patriotism, etc. Mm. So, I mean, I am sure this, there's going to be questions raised about this. It's another layer of uh, criticism to, to throw at the BBC, definitely. OK, it looks so as if the BBC might be hosting the Eurovision next year. But would that be fair in Ukraine? Ukraine won this year's event, has the right to host next year says it can do so safely despite the Russian invasion. Is there not a danger that even if the European Broadcasting Union thinks it is too dangerous, that that in itself hands a form of propaganda victory to the Russians? 
Yeah, this is very tough on the Ukrainians. It really is. And and the UK have been put in a kind of an invidious position as well because they've been asked, you you guys came second, will you host it next year? And Downing Street have said, yes, if that's, you know, if Ukraine can't do it, we were ready to step in. And I'm sure Boris Johnson would love to be able to kind of ride to the rescue of Ukraine and host a kind of festival of Ukraine-ness in the UK. But it is very unfair to the Ukrainians because their culture minister has said that not only can they hold it, host it safely, they've already given given a series of A, B, C and D plans to the European Broadcast Union to say this is how we will do it and this is how we guarantee everybody's safety. And it would be a very big thing for the Ukraine to be able to say, you know, we don't know if the war is still going to be going on then, but to be able to say, you know, despite everything, we can still host this, you know, festival of song, uh, we can bring Europe together in the Ukraine, and we can put, frankly, two fingers up to Russia. So it, it, it seems strange, and the EBU the, may have to, to revisit the decision on this. What do you reckon should happen here, Jennifer? I mean, Boris has said, please let the Ukraine host it. He, he wants to wash his hands of this. He was, he said that the other day. He was like, I don't, I think they'd be well able to host it basically because he's like, I don't want this headache of, of the, the, the cost of Eurovision. And I mean, I do think, you know, it would send out, as you're saying, like this message of solidarity, uh, with the Ukraine and have the support of Europe behind them in that way. But I do think what they're thinking of is safety because it is such a huge, uh, event and people, you know, all around Europe would go and travel to watch Eurovision and they are thinking maybe would, instead of the UK, even Brussels might host it because like obviously being the centre for the EU, but it is just a matter, I think, of safety, but I would like to see them host it. As, as Joe said, we don't know, like this invasion hopefully, you know, if things will die down, if they're saying that they're able to do it, why wouldn't they let them do it even on a smaller scale? But just to prove that they're there and they're, you know, surviving and they're trying to live their normal lives and do something that would support them and celebrate the country. I think that would be a great idea. Joe, tell us about your pick of the week, please. Yeah, um, I, I think I briefly touched on this last week, but this is uh, Paramount Plus is coming to Ireland uh, Wednesday, 22nd of June, uh, and the UK as well, and starting off. And there is one drama on Paramount Plus, and even if you only get Paramount Plus for the free offer period and, or whatever, it's called The Offer. Right, and it's based on the true story of the making of the Godfather. A producer called uh, Albert S. Ruddy, uh, he's played by Miles Teller. This is incredible drama, and this is brilliantly put together. It looks amazing. It's a great story. You've got Marlon Brando in there. You've got Francis Ford Coppola. You've got all of these Hollywood greats, and it's it's just really, really good escapist. Stuff. So if you can get Paramount Plus, uh, even if it's only for a limited time, do look at the offer because I don't think you'll see a better drama. Certainly not a, a more lush, better staged, just all like in, immersive drama about Hollywood this year. By the way, your recent recommendation of We Own This City, I've took it up and yeah. it's terrific. I'm really it's, enjoying it's a, this. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. And, uh, you know, another ball, a brilliant Baltimore crime, crime drama is fantastic. Jennifer, what's your pick from Apple TV? Yeah, it's Loot and it's out on Friday and it's starring Maya Rudolph, who you'd know from Bridesmaids and MJ Rodriguez from Pose and Joel Kim Booster. And it's this really, it's highly anticipated ensemble comedy from Master Nuns Alan Yang, who was the co-writer with Aziz Ansari and 30 Rock's uh, Matt Hubbard. And Maya Rudolph plays this really spoiled socialite Molly Novak and she lives in this world of just private jets and giga yachts and palatial mansions and then 
she discovers that her husband has betrayed her. Uh, they were together for 20 years and she becomes the latest tabloid fodder. Now she's saved from descending it to rock bottom uh, by MJ Rodriguez's character who informs her that her charity that she is the head of is actually suffering because of the scandal through the tabloids and then she ends up getting involved with the charity and it ends up boosting her public image. Um, and it just looks really fun and I think Maya Rudolph is great and just having her to anchor a series written by those two guys, the calibre of their writing is so good. Anybody that's watched 30 Rock, you know, it's like absolutely acerbic humour every 10 seconds you get a, a you know, show stopping joke and Master of None, which was just a gorgeous kind of real rich uh, comedy. So I'm really interested to see how this will work. Thank you very much, Jennifer Gannon, Joe Shea, for joining us for our weekly TV and streaming spot. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.